Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Dementia Researcher podcast, where we discuss career science and research. I'm Adam Smith, and it's my pleasure to be hosting this week's show, where we'll be discussing the Scottish National Brain Health and Dementia Research Strategy. I'm joined by two fantastic guests who are the people behind the first-of-its-kind policy. We have uh, Professor Craig Ritchie, Director of Brain Health Scotland and Chair of the Scottish Dementia Research Consortium from the University of Edinburgh, and Jim Pearson from Alzheimer Scotland's Director of Policy and Research. Hello, both of you, and thanks for finding time to join us today. Hi, Adam. Should we start by some introductions, Jim? Maybe you could go first. Yeah, so I'm Jim Pearson. I am um, actually the Director of Policy and Practice at Alzheimer's Scotland, but that's a very recent change. Um, but that doesn't necessarily change some of my areas of responsibility around research, and I'm delighted to be here this afternoon. Thank you. Um, what about you, Craig? Yeah, so, so, so thanks, Adam, for, for inviting us on today. I'm, I'm uh, Craig Ritchie, and you mentioned the, the three main roles I have at the University of Edinburgh Professor of the Psychiatry of Ageing, as well as Director of Brain Health Scotland and the Chair of the Scottish Dementia Research Consortium. I've been working in, you know, clinical practice and research in Alzheimer's disease for going on, gosh, almost 30 years now. So, um, yeah, it's a real, 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 real pleasure to join you today. Thank you. So I have to admit, when I was writing the briefing and we, we spoke yesterday, Craig, I hadn't quite appreciated that this the policy we're going to talk about today isn't necessarily a singular policy that's standalone. It's it's part of Scotland's wider work to look at brain health and dementia research. Um, so before we move on to talk about this policy and what it means, I know this is jumping ahead to something you're working on at the moment, but brain health and cognitive reserve and things are topics that we're hearing a lot about and they're attracting more research funding. Can you maybe give us an overview as to what's meant by these terms? You know, so, yeah, I think it's it's a really great place to start is, you know, what is brain health? Because, you know, we, we, we do often get asked that that question, where, where does brain health start and mental health finish? You know, how does brain health relate to other conditions? Um, maybe not necessarily neurogenic diseases, but things like stroke and multiple sclerosis. And I think one of the things to, to, to realize about what we're doing in Brain Health Scotland is our main audience is actually the, the public. And, and interestingly, when we've spoken to the public about the term brain health, they seem to understand it at a very um, you know, clear level where I think academics and clinicians and researchers can get a little bit more you know, bogged down in the philosophy and the definitions and sub-definitions, et cetera. So brain health to me is, 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 is having a healthy brain. Um, you know, we often talk about the fact that although it's a very complex organ, um, at the end of the day, if you if you have good good nutrition, good blood supply, and that blood supply is full of oxygen, and dare say you sleep well at night, and you clear all the toxins that accumulate during the day, you'll have a healthy brain, uh, and that's quite accessible to the public. And I think one of the things you also mentioned there about cognitive reserve is this sense that, you know, if you do develop, you know, through lifestyle and and and, and education and early life. Um, resilience and cognitive reserve the you know the ability to to um you know do well if you like in, in in cognitive testing through your life you're more likely to be able to tolerate dare I say 
a more um, higher levels of brain disease without necessarily expressing symptoms. Of course, as you know, the bad news is that when people do have sort of symptomatic breakthrough, they've had high levels of education. You also you often find their their deterioration is more rapid uh, than it would be in others. So, so brain health is almost a, almost a definition that doesn't need defining. I would say because the public get it already. And I think it's, it's sometimes clinicians and academics can be a little bit too particular. Uh, and we should just uh, work with the public on something they understand anyway. I understand that. And I think actually, I think it helps, doesn't it? Because when people think of this, distinguish, this distinction between mental health and brain health, I think brain health, I think people can get that this is about the physical, not necessarily the psychological, whereas mental health is about, uh, gives that impression of the psychological. Although is brain health both? I, I tend to think of the brain, dare say, as an organ, <laughs> like any other in the body. And, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to communicate, talk to the public about, about that. This isn't being medical at all. This is being anatomical. You know, you have an organ in your head, which you need to look after. Now, that organ does a lot of really cool things. You know, it, it, it reacts, it reacts, uh, you know, it's how we think, how we feel, how we, you know, exist in, in, in this universe. Part of that, of course, is, is mental health. It's our psychological well-being, but the brain does so much more than that. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a, you know, there is a need to maybe distinguish psychological illness from, you know, the, the illnesses specifically related to brain disease, like, of course, Alzheimer's. So, it, it, so I, then it makes complete sense that you'd have a brain health policies, just like we do in other areas, like trying to prevent, you know, good heart health or exactly. healthy living and things like that brilliant so how so does that mean then i guess a policy like this is is to encourage well obviously we're going to talk about the research policy today but brain health policies as a whole are to encourage the public to care and raise awareness yeah. of that yeah definitely and i think one of the one of the things that we've we've learned a lot in, in a research setting certainly particularly from epidemiological research over the years is that there are um, influences on brain health, both positive and negative. And I think they're best summarized by the Lancet Commission report. And I think what we, we sought to do, one thing we sought to do within Brain Health Scotland was in a sense almost operationalize and, uh, and, and, um, and um, translate the Lancet Commission report into practice. So that, as you know, uh, has many risk factors, 12 risk factors that operate across the life course. So you're not just talking about older people and trying to modify risk in an, in an older population. A lot of the, the risk factors that seem to be potent and prevalent uh, for brain health issues are, 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 are in midlife. So that's why brain health policy is targeting younger people than necessarily would have, would have been the case, you know, when we just thought about dementia, you know, a few years back. We had um, Martin Rosser and Martin Knapp on the show last... Ooh, actually, it might not have been last year now. I think it's probably... Oh, yeah, last year, in 2019. Last summer, for anybody who's listening, you can go back and listen to that one, talking about the cognitive footprint work that they'd mm. published in the... I think that might have been in The Lancet as well, actually, um, in, this, in this similar vein. And some of the feedback that we got, particularly from the public that listened to us, was this surprise that things like education levels that you might have in very early age can have such an impact throughout your mm -hmm. life. Um, and trying to explain this to people was quite challenging. So you can understand how a policy has got to be able to yeah. try and do, do quite a lot. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's right. I think we've 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 got into conversations with the public over recent years, or probably over in recent decades, where we've con- I think we've conceptualized brain health or dementia or Alzheimer's disease as a disease of older people, and therefore it's quite hard, but not you know something we will achieve to shift the conversation to younger individuals to recognize that there are things that are actionable and dare say it um, um, probably will have an effect on brain health and therefore risk of dementia that take place in you know from birth onwards in many ways so that's that's a very important challenge is to say well that dare I say that's why we we we, we deliberately decided to call brain health scotland brain health scotland and not Dementia Prevention Scotland, because I think if we'd gone down the Dementia Prevention Scotland route, we'd have had those real challenges in having conversations with young people and people in early midlife, because to them, dementia is just not, dare say it, it's not on their radar, Um, whereas brain health is for everybody. Yeah, not just clever marketing, but you can see how they, yeah, that makes absolute sense when you explain it like that. Jim, now that we have an understanding of the importance of brain health, can you give us an overview of this new research strategy and how it came about? So I think, uh, you know, the, it, in its most simplest way of describing this is the strategy is essentially about creating an environment and, and enabling and sustainable infrastructure for good, high-quality research to happen uh, within Scotland. And it, the, the strategy itself sets out some actions that need to happen uh, to support that. But it is about recognising, I think, where we are in Scotland. Scotland is small enough to be able to get things done quite easily. Uh, it's, we have quite an accessible parliament. It's a small country. It's easier, in some ways, to bring to bring people together. And of course, as Craig has already described earlier, this sits within the context of uh, over a decade now of national work being done around tackling dementia as a priority. So uh, as of today, we have three national dementia strategies since 2010. Um, In that third strategy, there was a particular focus in, in supporting research. We would have had And we would have been in the process last year of having a a series of national dialogue events about a fourth national dementia strategy. But of course, for the COVID-19 pandemic. And what's happened in in place of that was to develop a a COVID-19 and dementia national action plan, which runs for, I think the Scottish government anticipated to run somewhere between 18 months to, to 24 months. And then we would go back and revisit uh, developing that fourth uh, national dementia strategy. One of the key commitments in that action plan was the establishment of Brain Health Scotland, as Craig has already mentioned, and of course, uh, Craig directs. Uh, and of course, uh, Brain Health Scotland, um, well, you know, it's been sponsored by, funded by the Scottish Government, so it's, and it's hosted with Alzheimer's Scotland. Brain Health Scotland will be developing a national brain health strategy for Scotland. Uh, and of course, we, some years ago now, s- supported the, the development of the Scottish Dementia Research Consortium, which Craig actually also chairs. <laughs> uh, and um, we, we've been supporting 
Uh, the Scottish Adventure Research Consortium now, I think, was that since about 2007, Craig? Can't, can't quite remember the, the date that we that, that, that started, however, but the Scottish Adventure Research Consortium was brought together to bring researchers from all disciplines uh, across Scotland to work together and, um, and, and collaborate uh, and, you know, almost have Scotland as a, for want of a better phrase, a kind of virtual dementia research centre, bringing together all those skills and, um, and, and different different levels of experience and, and knowledge to, to collaborate in a way to promote better uh, research and dementia within Scotland and to attract, of course, investment in research and also to involve more people within research. So the strategy that we've just developed, the Brain Health and Dementia Research Strategy, is really about building on that infrastructure and creating the conditions that enable us to continue uh, going forward. I don't know if you would add in that, Craig, or is that? Well, no, no, I think there's a, there's a yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the one thing that I would um, maybe highlight and it's the, if you like, it's the, the the headline of the of the strategy itself is we are all researchers. Yeah. I think the 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 explanation for that um, is that we've recognised certainly from a clinical research perspective that the, the 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 observations and the ideas and the challenges and the why is this happening, why is this not happening, actually come from people, patients, not from researchers. I think we we have a role to translate their observations and their concerns and their worries into research projects and then deliver those. But at the end of the day, the, the research journey starts with the person either at risk or with dementia. Uh, and our role in this as academics is to, to, to do the science that they're asking us to do. That's why we've said we are all researchers. And uh, it has to be said, Scotland, considering the size of Scotland and the population, it, I mean, it's it's massive for research compared to it, the size of its population and outputs. I feel sure. Um, it would, would, is that, is that just my impression? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to just jump in and, and you know, I, 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 I always have to preface these things. And as, as many of you listeners know, I actually still live between London and Edinburgh and for spend more time in London than I've ever spent in Scotland. So none, none of the, what I say is hopefully going to be sounding parochial, but Scotland does have the highest per capita higher edu education institution system in the world and there's more universities per capita and more university places per capita in Scotland than there's anywhere else in the world so I think we're very fortunate to have a incredible backbone and infrastructure for academic um, activity and output um, I often reflect that you know sometimes people say Scotland punches above its weight but I don't like the term of thinking about we're punching people I think we influence above our weight um, and I think that's part of what this stretch strategy may be able to do for not just for Scotland, but dare say for the rest of the UK and beyond. Although given, if I remember rightly, doesn't Scotland have the lowest life expectancy of any country in Western Europe as well? So you can see why having a policies like this are actually really important to yeah. to yeah. add to the greater good or either that or you come to Scotland, get your education, then leave. Is so I think a I good, think the, clever thing to do. And then, and then go back again in my case. Yeah. But I, but I, but I, but I, no, I think that's a really, really important observation because I think that's, that's the shame of the first statement is the observation you made in the second statement that although you have this 
incredible health service, an incredible powerhouse of academic activity. How come? And it's not, I don't think it's the whole population. I think it's just pockets of, of, of deprivation in Scotland are, dare I say, obscene relative to the rest of the country. I mean, there's parts of, but also if we're going to throw figures at each other, the highest GDP per capita of any city in, in the UK is not London, it's Edinburgh. But you go 30 miles down the road along the M8 and you have the highest levels of social deprivation in Europe. Now that now that's not going to be fixed by a brain health strategy or a research strategy. But what it what it what it what it what it needs to do is all of these strategies have to accommodate those particular issues. We know, for instance, that that the risk factors for dementia, the Lancet Commission report, 12 risk factors, if you like, almost every single one of them accumulates in people from more deprived socioeconomic backgrounds. So if we're to develop a brain health strategy or a dementia strategy or a research strategy, it has to first and foremost be able to address the needs of people from those communities. And, and a, a good, well-delivered brain health strategy is also going to benefit in so many other ways as well, isn't it? Because so many of the things that are in that Lancet Commission that will help with brain health and prevention of dementia are also the same things that you would use to have good cardiac health. And, exactly. Yeah. But, but good for your brains, good for your heart. Uh, yeah, well done. <laughs> Somebody had to say it. Um, Jim, just coming back to you. So, I mean, with, I guess for, for this particular uh, strategy for a research strategy actually developing a baseline and working out whether you've actually delivered on this is a little bit easier than it will be when you move on to your brain health strategy uh, later in the year what what do you see as the kind of what are the can you um, just tell me what are the main what are the main takeaways from the strategy give me what are because I remember that I've, I've read it but I, uh, let's hear you say what are the main I think that there are four main aims from this am i testing your memory now <laughs> i don't know what this in my memory but i'm sure craig will jump in if i need to but i think i mean craig has already highlighted here i think the importance about everyone having a stake in research so we are all we are all researchers and that that ability i think also to take good research and uh, and rapidly kind of translate that uh, in, into practice but the specific actions, uh, and and I think it's maybe worth remembering. This is not a government strategy, so it's not the Scottish government's uh, strategy. And we already know, as, as an organisation, the challenges of taking the commitments of even a national dementia strategy and having them fully implemented uh, locally, even when it is a government strategy. So this this strategy was developed by the Scottish Dementia Research Consortium, but also in consultation with that. A wide range of stakeholders. So, I think that um, that one of the things we are asking there to happen is that within every NHS board, we have a brain health and dementia research board established, and that there's representation from each of those uh, boards to form part of a of a national forum, a national board, to provide that leadership at local and national level around the aspirations of this strategy and how it aligns with things like the, the, the brain health strategy. So it's about creating, as I said earlier, that infrastructure. Those are key key parts of that. Some of the challenges, of course, around that will be that it's not, you know, it, it's not prescriptive. It's not a Scottish government. We're going to have to do this by consensus and, and having people on board. But I think 
the process so far in terms of building engagement around this and, and the endorsement that, that we've had for this sets us in, in good stead, I think, for we having those conversations going forward and, and getting buy-in at that local level to establish each of, of those boards within within a local level. Um, so I think that it, it really what we are doing over the next period is creating that environment. And I always remember that you probably remember this, Craig, a few years ago, a good colleague of both of ours, John Starr, who, who led the, the research centre, Alzheimer's Scotland Research Centre at University, Edinburgh University, always used to talk about what he did and his role was almost like creating the scaffolding. So, you know, Alzheimer's Scotland are a key partner in this. We host the Scottish Dementia Research Consortium in Brain Health Scotland, but we don't necessarily fund, we don't fund research. Our, our goal within that, I suppose, and, uh, is to support and create the research community and support that infrastructure, support involvement of people with dementia in research. And I think the strategy takes that on a, 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 a huge step further, actually. And if we can deliver on these and we can get the buy-in that we've already started to get, then we will achieve that ambition of having that leadership within every NHS board through the Brain, uh, Brain Health and Dementia Research Boards and that national kind of oversight board or, or forum. So I'm going to I'm gonna read from your policy now, or the, I think it's NHS Scotland's website, I think it is, that said, so you're going to establish Brain Health and Dementia Research Boards uh, within each NHS board to pursue local research agenda in relation to dementia and brain health um, and ask them to all come together in a national forum. So this is specifically to, with a view to kind of growing the research in that area, what to make sure it's it's driven by local population, that it's it's what they want. Um, I think it's 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 growing, but it's also um, it's also um, what's the word I'm looking for? I think there's there, there's there's sometimes a risk with with um, researchers that you do a lot of research, um, which dare say maybe to support your PhD or maybe to, you've got a pilot project idea or you, it's, a, it's an overused term sometimes, it's like a me too project. And I think what often happens is there's a, there's, there's a, there's a disconnect between the amount of research activity and the amount of impact that activity has on in our area clinical care. And I think what we're trying to do here is, I mean, Jim mentioned it earlier, we're a relatively small country. We can hopefully wrap our, around, wrap our arms around the portfolio of research that's taking place within Scotland and dare say it, unless rationalise isn't the right word, but it's, it's making it work effectively as a whole rather than necessarily, you know, things maybe organically making it to the public arena or into, into having impact. So that's where the, 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 the local research boards where the research takes place would be expected to understand their portfolio of activities We'll share those on the SDRC website, It'll allow people to, if they have an idea, there'll be some way of saying, oh my goodness, they're doing this in Inverness already, maybe I should collaborate. And when these things are produced, they're, they're discussed in this national forum. Um, and in doing so, dare I say from an SDRC perspective, from a research community perspective, we should 
kind of at any moment in time know what's going on from a research perspective. And that might allow us in conjunction with the dementia strategy and the brain health strategy, be able to see what's coming through to be able to prepare, if you like, the market for implementation. So there's, 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 there's no Clark collaborative learning allied health research um, system as there is in the NIHR in England, in Scotland. So there isn't that, that body that has been established to get research into practice. So we had to embed elements of Clark uh, within this brain health strategy. Um, oh, that's, I mean, that's, it's perfect. I mean, that's, that's really clever because I think, I think that addresses we've, I mean, researchers uh, for quite some time have been making this kind of complaint, if you like, particularly mm. early career researchers that they deliver their outputs, they publish their journal articles, and then that's, that's it. It's it's done, and there is a frust- uh, an increasing frustration that you can discover something really works, but taking that from discovery to implementation or to getting it actually used, there's a gap there yeah. at the minute. I think it came out in Alzheimer's Society's um, uh, care review uh, back at the end of 2019. It's it's here again, and I think if and also as well, I, I've done this myself because I've done these reviews where you look at what research is going on there that I think even in England whilst there is the NIHR infrastructure there still nobody has this real overview of everything that's going on in a given area there are still pockets and silos and all the time we I, I went to do some work in Northern Ireland a while ago and every time we met somebody new or spoke to somebody different we kept discovering there was more and more research going on that just nobody had us had a there was no handle on exactly what was going on everywhere. And I, I guess through boards like this, and also as well, we haven't talked about this yet, but this, another part of your policy, this rapid review service yeah. element to it uh, as a real opportunity to bring that together. And I, I, I can't imagine this is something that's unique to Scotland or England either. I would imagine no. if you're listening in the States, it's exactly the same problem, or if you're in Australia or wherever in the world you are. And I think it's, 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 I mean, I'm sure Jim has a view on this as well, but it's, 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 I mean, we, we often say these things like connection and interoperability and, you know, networking and all these sorts of things. But I think what we're probably capable of doing here is actually, you know, putting some meat in the bones of those statements and saying, so let's for argument's sake, an, a local board, if, if I found out that a local board, this isn't, you know, not, not, it's not about pleasing me, but if I found out a local board had seven professors and one PhD student and no nurses or doctors, I'd go, that's a failed board. Because to me, that's just a, that's an academic board that's looking at a portfolio of papers ready for the Lancet. You need to have the allied health professional leads and the nursing leads, the clinical leads, the finance people all in the room at the same time saying, you know, we see this project coming through um, it's going to be a year and two until it delivers. But in a sense, what these boards should also do is, dare say, create the post-translational environment that these, these ideas and these things can be adopted into. One thing I'd also like to add to this is that this is a slightly sort of philosophical point, but, but um, as a small community, you know, 5.2 million people, whatever we are, with a single NHS and, you know, the ability to interconnect our academic you know, community under a particular theme with actually also great electronic medical records and data systems. 
we often boast about being dynamic and agile and about how things can, and Jim said earlier, we can get things done more quickly here. Well, that's true, but we also have to be willing to take risks. You know, if you're gonna innovate, part of innovation is risk-taking. Now, as long as the risks you're taking don't cause harm, then I think that's where Scotland needs to position itself in terms of its USP. So we need to have the, the willingness to say, well, well, we, you know, we can't do this in practice because the evidence base isn't strong enough. Well, let's just lower the bar for the evidence base to get something into practice. And then, of course, what you do is when it's in practice, you evaluate it real time through quality improvement or whatever it is once it's in practice. Because if we wanted to, you know, prove that Brain Health Scotland works or prove the risk factor modification works, you know, come back to me in 20 years time when we haven't done the RCT that costs two billion pounds. You know, sometimes you just have to take the risk <laughs> and say, you know, I was about to swear there, so I avoid. No, it. no, no, I'm, I'm sold. I just, mean, I'm an. Just I'm do old, it. Just do it. <laughs> I'm old school NHS. I mean, I was back working for the, you know, the back in the national program for IT, and back in my time working oh. at the Department of Health. You know, I've been around a long time and so i'm yeah old school nhs service improvement i do feel that once like the innovation agency and things like that went away when we yeah. had a a change of priorities and how services were commissioned instead of being delivered by part and parcel of the same system i i mean I've, i'm out of it a long time there are probably people in the nhs now that would argue that this is still there but i feel like we lost a little bit of that at that point yeah. there was this sense of of being able to rapidly test and and make changes and then if it didn't work you you moved on so actually that leads us really nicely into talking about this um rapid review service so this isn't to so exactly what does that do this is taking research outputs looking at them i guess it's not trying to replace nice or trying to no no definitely not no it, it, it would be it would be a I dare say, I mean, a low, bar, a low bar to entry, as we've talked about in terms of getting things out there. I think we've also lived through what a colleague of mine once described as pilot purgatory, where you do pilot studies forever and you never actually get to the point of doing the big study in the real world. So I think what this rapid review service would do would be to, to, to look at outputs from local boards or you know two or three boards who are working collaboratively on a project and to make a recommendation um, this will be obviously sitting with the national board to the people who have got the competencies and capacities to do delivery, chief execs, medical directors, you know, um, integrated joint board leads, et cetera, and say, we, rec we recommend that you should actually put this into practice for a period of two or three years. It's called a mega pilot. And, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll regroup. So it's, it's, it's creating a, some degree of, of oversight of um, a project or an idea that can get from the pilot stage into the practice stage and then into the quality improvement stage. And would this be something, would you go and, will these this review process go and seek out things to consider yeah. or is it work they generally themselves? Right, okay. So that's that's quite interesting because we, we've had a, we've certainly talked about this in blogs. I'm not sure for anybody listening, you can look at, we have, numerous bloggers on our website go and have a read of some of their work but i don't know if it's come up in podcasts before about researchers can do more to help themselves that as a as a commissioner of health services it's quite hard i mean you're mm. you're busy you've got lots of things to consider you can't possibly have your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on 
that could possibly deliver change. And researchers could certainly do a lot more to help themselves yes. by, by making something implementable, by costing it, by giving instructions, by by providing a ready-made package that makes it easier for commissioners to look at and go, oh yeah, that 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 the evidence is there, it's nice and clear. This is what it this is what I'd have to do to make that happen. And I think Anna Volkmer uh, wrote a blog for us on this about her speech and language therapy services for uh, people with PCA recently. She's had that experience of working with commissioners. So go and have a have a read of that. So this this sounds brilliant. I I mean I'm a so what are the challenges to to implement? Uh, this is a question for both of you, I guess. So lots of countries have dementia strategies, maybe not all research strategies. In fact, um, I chair the iStart PIA for Elevating Nuclear Re Researchers, and one of the things we're looking at right now, we're about to launch our a survey on the 1st of September, and this. so go look at it if you're just listening now. Um, one of the things we're doing is to review national dementia strategies to see what support is for early career researchers is amongst those so we can see how different countries vary in their support for ECRs. So what's in here for ECRs and what are the challenges to delivery of this this strategy? Uh, Craig, you go first. Uh, can't see without my back. Page 16. <laughs> so item 2.3, promoting and resourcing researchers' career development. So this is, you know, I think many, you know, you've done a, an amazing job with the NIHR and, and you know, the ARUK and, you know, DRI, Dementia Research Institute. We've all got a very, very um, keen interest to develop the workforce of the future. You know, um, research is, is in, the, in our domain, is, is, it requires an incredibly talented, motivated and there's a large workforce. Um, and we need to make sure that the environment for early career researchers in terms of entering the field, and dare say staying in the field, and dare say staying in the UK and Scotland as long as possible is, is on us um, to create those environments. Now, I, you know, I, I really believe sometimes that we, we, we do some incredible things, webinars and, you know, support tools and we did something up here where we gave some quick rapid response funding during covid but then i think there are some infrastructure problems there's some systemic problems with the way we encourage and retain early career researchers in clinical medicine and, and clinical academics and that's why rather than putting into the strategy a whole series of solutions we're going to throw a lot of energy and effort over the next two years to really understanding what the issues are and making a series of recommendations to unblock them. Um, and that's, so we will produce quite a substantial analysis of early career research pathways in dementia and brain health in Scotland to, to put together a report for 2023. And I think the personal view, the bottom line is this, we need substantial funding and we also need to make sure that those pinch points between PhD and postdoc and postdoc and PI, we need to be more confident in our researchers and not leave them to a hundred of them to chase one research fellowship. I think if a PhD student is good, we it's on us to support them to become a PI. Yeah, I, no, 
no arguments from uh, from <laughs> us here. This is exactly the same we picked up in our iStart work and through dementia research as well. But those bottlenecks that exist, um, they're very real. They're the points that we we do seem to lose people. Although I would I would argue as well that you can go one step earlier than that as well. Um, I've we've recently. Uh, been following a, a master's, a couple of master's students from yeah. UCL and other places, and actually the the gap when you drop out your master's, the number of people that seem to emerge from a master's uh, in neuroscience or in dementia, um, and then want a break before they do their PhD or to find a PhD, and the number of research assistant posts and things like that as well. There are very few opportunities yeah. to get hands-on experience before you go on. So creating some something in that space as well and promoting that promoting the msc program so we we had a careers festival week back in march and we focused on undergraduates actually to encourage them to consider um, master's programs as that stepping stone because whilst there were slightly fewer phd opportunities in last year because of the pandemic and the charities weren't funding in the same way but we reached out to every one of the 50-some master's programs that you could enter across the UK. We reached out to all of them, and not one single, none of them were full. They all had space. They all had capacity to take more people um, into them. And and so we were trying to encourage undergraduates to consider that as, as well. Just to, And that could be in anything from computer sciences to, you know, allied health professions and other spaces that work in that dementia space so looking at that from undergraduate right through to the end i think is important too and what about you jim what are, what are the going to be the difficult bits of this i mean alzheimer scotland is a, a charity what what role does alzheimer scotland have to play in this is this lobbying governments is it funding yourself what what are the barriers to making this happen i guess that's where you're going to help yeah i suppose i suppose i touched on some of that earlier in the this, you know, this isn't a government strategy. It's been developed by the Scottish Dementia Research Consortium, but also, of course, in, in partnership with and with the endorsement of many other stakeholders, including the Scottish Government, NHS boards, and and others. And that, that's a good start. It is always difficult. Uh, we see that even, as I said earlier, with commitments that are made nationally through national dementia strategies. To get them fully implemented locally, so that 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 is a particular challenge. However, I don't think it's one that's, that that can't be overcome. And I think with the willingness and and the consent uh, of, of partners, we will we will build that relationship. And I think that um, for Alzheimer Scotland and for organisations like us, you know, we we are not Alzheimer Scotland is a national organisation. But you know, we're not rolling in cash, so we you know we don't have the types of uh, funding that would enable us to make a significant dent in funding research itself. So we've always focused on the, the infrastructure and supporting that research community. And uh, you know the subject there around early career research is that's critically important to us in, in the in the future. You know the, are those future researchers, those people who will be creating new innovations and. Uh, and, and you know a, a better better understanding of the disease processes that cause dementia and, and other risk factors it will be those early career researchers and we want that talent to remain here so to create the conditions for them to have uh, uh, you know positive opportunities within uh, developing their careers 
and to remain as researchers contributing to that kind of knowledge base within Scotland and it is, is really important to us. So for us, uh, then it, it is about infrastructure. It's about supporting uh, the research community. I'm no researcher. I, I'm uh, of the three of us here. I'm I'm the layperson talking about about research. What what, what I, I I do know is that what we do in terms of our campaign work, how we lobby uh, with the Scottish government, how we work with and try and influence uh, positive change in an international arena. Uh, we have the World Health Organization Global Action Plan, which is requiring every country to have its own national national dementia plan or national dementia strategy. They're also now calling for every country to have its own prevention strategy. I think we've managed to get off the mark quite quickly with that in terms of developing uh, Brain Health Scotland. We've got the Scottish Government committed to that. They've funded the establishment of Brain Health Scotland. We have a commitment to develop a, a Brain Health strategy. Um, there is a new national dementia strategy that will be having dialogue in the coming months, I've no doubt, as we move out of the pandemic, or hopefully that we move out of the pandemic. Um, and I think there's a real opportunity in there to build on their existing commitments in Scotland's national dementia strategy about that research investment uh, and uh, creating that infrastructure and support for research. There's more, I think, to come and stronger commitments perhaps within our national dementia strategy. So an opportunity, I think, when we look at that fourth strategy to really try and influence that. And the work of Brain Health Scotland will be critical, I think, in making sure that that's really embedded in, in Scotland's national commitments around dementia going forward. In fact, I said dementia there, I should have said dementia and brain health. Maybe, maybe our future national dementia strategies will actually be brain health and dementia strategies. Leading the way, I think so many countries do, I mean, because Scotland has always been one of the first countries to kind of put these policies and these strategies out there. I think it's great that then, you know, when the, the rest of the countries in the G8 or in the US and the UK, which of course in England, of course, they're, we, I think they're going through a period now of looking at their next dementia strategy because the old one came to an end at the end of 2020. Um Everybody will be looking to to see what's going on in in Scotland. I feel sure, and great that this is covering basic science and academic and clinical. Because I think, um, in some of the feedback we've had recently, it was one of the things that everybody said they liked about dementia researcher and our podcast and things is that we wasn't we weren't just for clinical researchers or basic scientists. Right. That we do try to to span span all areas of discovery. Well, thanks. And I think that's really important for us too, and you know we have, uh, and for our members because a lot of our work, of course, and our priorities are set by people with lived experience. So our, our campaigning priorities, our work is informed by people with lived experience, and absolutely, you know that um, balanced portfolio of research, which you know in terms of you know prevention, potential treatments and cures, but also how do we support and care for those people that are living with dementia today and I think we've got that balance right well certainly maybe not in terms of investment but certainly in terms of the focus of the work and the strategy and within the Scottish Dementia Research Consortium all of those key themes are there um, but a work to go I think to, in terms of having more equitable spread of investment in certain areas of research particularly I think around practice research but, but I think this this approach can help with that. And in, I mean in my day job I work with Alzheimer Scotland quite a bit on a few different things. Joint Dementia Research, we've been one of them that I um, 
be able to work with Henry Simmons, your um, chief exec on. And there's always been that real passion there for public engagement. If if ever you're at a meeting and you want somebody to remind you about what's really important about whatever it is you're doing, uh, Henry and yourself, Jim, have always been great at bringing it back to that direct line of sight between the research and the the people that are going to benefit the the public, the carers, the people living with the disease and and great work you do in encouraging the public to sign up to join dementia research, which we've done a podcast on before as well. For anybody listening who's not in the UK, this is our national service that um, supports anybody over the age of 18 to to volunteer to participate in research studies and then gives all ethically approved dementia research access to to match up and find people they're looking for for their studies um, uh, yeah, maybe just say it was remiss of me not to mention that uh, no 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 it's a, a, absolutely right so you know one of our key priorities and one of our own key strategic aims is as an organization to create a culture where you know all of our staff whether you're a volunteer a, a dementia advisor a post-diagnosis support link worker but those people who are working uh, with people day in, day out are, are confident in talking about research and opportunities for research and actually to allow people to make those informed choices about participation in research and, and be, you know, a really clear message about signing up for and participating in dementia research to join dementia research. So that, that's a, an ongoing piece of work, but it is our ambition that a key element of our work will be to support recruitment into research and, and to support people to be empowered to make their own choices about that. And of course, JDR, Joint Dementia Research, does provide people with a platform that enables them to decide how and when and what type of research they become. And, and it will get better. I, 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 I've currently got the job of writing the spec for purchasing procuring the <laughs> it system for the next version of that in fact that'll be what i spend all my day doing tomorrow in fact <laughs> yeah sounds like um, more than a whole day's work there Adam. It, it is of days work at least it, it is slightly <laughs> although it's fun because i think um this is an opportunity you know we've learned uh, so much from our work on registers and being in this space in the last few years that i think we now have a vision for what a really good yeah. public engagement tool and of course the important bit is we've we've got a i don't want to talk about it too much we've got a publication coming out soon so look at alzheimer's and dementia shortly and you'll get some hopefully a good story about how how beneficial that's that's been and alzheimer scotland's been fantastic in its support for that work thank you jim um so it's probably time we were wrapping up this this time always gets away from me i'm notorious for being terrible at how ever hosting short podcasts um but before we before we wrap up craig what what advice would you give to anybody out there who's listening who's who's interested what what's the hot topics for brain health what can they what can they do gosh um <laughs> you recommend they they do if they want to be big in this space how are they going to find a niche in brain health look i think if you want to be big in this space i think you have to take what talking about early career researchers, you have to take what motivated you to be interested in the science and the clinical science and don't lose sight of that because I think most people go into science and go into research, dare I say, to make the world a better place. They don't do it to build their CV. They don't do it to get a promotion. They do it because they want to make a difference to the world. And that's where I think initiatives like here in Scotland will help facilitate good researchers to have high impact. 
Fantastic. And is there any way for anybody to get in? If if anybody's listening and they're in they're in Scotland, is there any way? For, what would you? What message would you give to them? Is there a well, way for them to get involved or something? Yeah, you want definitely. To point so, them to. Yes. Yeah, so sorry to cut across there, Adam. We we um we have a growing membership of the Scottish Dementia Research Consortium. We're up to about eight hundred members. Um, over the last three years, we've gone from about two hundred to eight hundred. Um, a very large proportion of those people are early career researchers. So if you go to the website, www.sdrc.scot, then uh, you'll see how to sign up to become a member of SDRC. And hopefully in doing so, you'll become part of one of these NHS boards and have your voice heard. And you've been running some great webinars as well, which I've, well, I've been catching up on <laughs> on YouTube afterwards. Um, so uh, I think there'll be links to those webinars, both on the ones you've yeah, done before absolutely. and new ones coming up as well on there. Definitely. Thank you very much. Um, well, I think that probably really is all we've got time for today. So to, to recap, uh, for anybody's looking, go and find the Scottish Brain Health and Dementia Research Strategy. So it's well worth a read if you're looking for some inspiration as to um, for your own strategies. There it is. Jim's holding up a copy for those. Obviously, nobody can see that. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> but I, I've got the web page up and it reminded me. Perfect radio. Um, perfect radio. The, the main takeaway is we're, we're going to have these health boards. There's going to be the rapid review service, this big piece of work to review uh, ECR career pathways as well and the national strategy, uh, the national oversight board as well. And then that sits in this landscape of the brain health strategy and the dementia strategy, which are also coming very soon, which is Fantastic. Thank you very much to our guests, Professor Craig Ritchie and Jim Pearson. We have profiles on all of today's panellists on our website, including details of their Twitter accounts. So please do go and take a look. And we'll also put a link to the strategy in there as well that you can go find out about and a link to the SDRC that Craig mentioned. Finally, please remember to like, subscribe uh, in whichever app you're listening to. And remember, uh, to subscribe to receive our weekly bulletin. And if you'd like to join us to discuss your own research on the show, please drop us a line and you'll find details on how to do that in the text below the podcast. Thank you very much, Craig. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. And um, we'll, we'll be back again in two weeks' time. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.